But can I say, yeah, I'm ready to go Like weed seeds in the pot, yeah, I'm ready to grow And I don't care if the growth is fast or slow Grow my fan base, cause that's what really matters the most I see the top of y'all, swear I'm so close You ain't taking medication, let me give you a dose I am the realest in the end, that's not no quote Let's see who disagrees, raise your hand to vote Welcome to Feel the Heat, episode 13. We hope you're having a good start to your week. I'm your host, Dale my co-host, Lev. How's everybody doing, y'all? Glad to be back for episode 13. Let's get into it. As you know here at Feel the Heat, we back up our takes with the numbers, the facts, and the stats. But as Webb always says, the numbers and the stats don't always tell the whole story. Feel free to send us your questions or topics at Anchor. That FM forward slash Feel the Heat or on Twitter at Feel the Heat underscore KW. Gonna jump right in this, this uh, week. We have the NCAA recap. So it was really a good week for college football. Um, the teams ranked in the top 10, like number two, Alabama. They dominated Ole, Ole Miss. Number five, Ohio State destroyed Nebraska on the road in primetime, while number six, Oklahoma, and number seven, Auburn straight to easy wins over Texas Tech and Mississippi State. Ironically, the only top team to struggle was the top team, number one, Clemson. But they edged out a win, 21-20, to 20, um, on the road against North Carolina. Webb is going to break down our first game of the week, which was Virginia at Notre Dame. Um, okay. Honestly, Virginia honestly just got dominated. I mean... They had talent downfield, as in, like, receivers uh, with Hassis Dubois. But um, they, they even had chances. They got an onside kick, I believe, to start the second half. when they I think they were down 14-7, if I'm, cor- if I'm correct. Uh, but the pass rush from Notre Dame was overwhelming. Eight sacks uh, from the entire defense. The defense as a whole was honestly overwhelming. I mean, Julian O'Quara had three sacks to himself. Bryce Perkins threw two interceptions. That's the quarterback for Virginia, if you didn't know. Ian Book really didn't have to do much. Uh, the running game really was bailing him out because he was really misreading defenses and missing open receivers, leaving the pocket earlier than he should have. So Notre Dame's running game really bailed Ian Book out. Bryce Perkins... Just as a quick look for the stats, 30 for 43, 334 yards. So he was airing the ball out. He he threw two interceptions, but he had three fumbles and two picks. Hasis Dubois, nine receptions, 143 yards. A touchdown. Joe Reed, nine receptions, 107 yards. And a touchdown. They were throwing the ball. But that pass rush was too dominant. They couldn't do anything. Yeah, I guess Notre Dame was just showing that they really are a real threat this year, that they really could play with the big boys. And maybe last year they they learned from their mistakes. USC at Washington. Go ahead, Webb. I was just going to say I forgot. Running back Tony Jones, 18 carries, 131 yards, three touchdowns for Notre Dame. The running game was carrying Ian Book, so he really didn't have to do much. But anyway, USC at Washington – Obviously, USC lost. I believe I predicted USC to lose. 
Washington looked like the better team. They really did. All around, Matt Fink looked pretty bad. <laughs> Besides the one touchdown he threw, which at that point in the game, which I believe was near the end of the third quarter, it really didn't matter. Mm-hmm. He threw three interceptions, bad ones, and accounted for 163 passing yards and only 94 yards rushing was the best stat produced on offense by Stephen Carr. On the other hand, Washington... Washington Salvan Ahmed looked unstoppable. 17 attempts, 155 yards, one touchdown. Even runs that he was supposed to be stopped at the line was getting between three and five yards because he was just, he kept the legs moving. And he made it easy for Jacob Eason, who had an average but good game. He went 16 for 26 with 180 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Easy game for Washington. Yeah, I think for USC, just show maybe their win over Utah, um, Utah, Utah State, right? Um, it just wasn't as good. Maybe Utah State wasn't just as good as everyone thought they were. So, uh, it's back to the drawing boards for USC. Mississippi at Auburn. All right, so Mississippi got killed. Mississippi State got killed by Auburn, 56 to 23. I think it was really... I think this was really the game that Auburn's offense really showed showed out for the first time this season. Seth Williams had eight receptions for 161 yards and two touchdowns. Jatarius Whitlow, I can't say his name, ran for three touchdowns. And Mississippi State's best offensive player, Kalen Hill, who was going into the game leading the SEC in rushing, finished with 17 carries for 45 yards. Mm-hmm. That's how dominant Auburn's defense was. Bo Nix honestly had his best game as an Auburn Tiger. throwing the, And he looked better throwing the deep ball this week. He added two touchdowns and 335 yards passing. The Auburn offense continues to make strides every week. Bo, Bo Nix honestly looks better every week. And as their offense gets better and better, their team gets scarier and scarier every week with that monstrous defense. Yep, they just made it look easy. And um, definitely Auburn versus Florida this weekend will be one of our games of the week as it is an SEC matchup. And uh, they're both undefeated. So it will be a game to look forward to and highlight key reasons why one team might, might win over the other. Moving forward, uh, my player of the week. This is a new section we added into the, the, the show, but I'm going to pick Patrick Carr from the University of Houston, who had 139 yards rushing on 16 carries for three touchdowns and the victory over North Texas, moving the team to two and three on the season. Uh, my player of the week is Jalen Hurts, 17 for 24, 415 yards passing, three touchdowns, one pick, 99% QBR. And a monstrous dub. So, Jalen Hurts is putting college football on notice. He's coming. And I'm I'm excited. I really am. I can't wait for the postseason to come. I got I got high expectations for Oklahoma. I really do. And it's most likely that Jalen Hurts will be the number one draft pick going into the NFL. I mean, it'll be between him and I think the Tua Tagovailoa, but... This? I think Jalen Hurts has the upside over Tua. Right. He's showing it every every week. 
This is my. This is my. I'm. I'm putting it out there right now. This is my pick for the Heisman, Jalen Hurts. I think he's gonna get the Heisman, and Oklahoma is gonna get their third consecutive Heisman winner. And I think that's gonna be crazy. But anyway, let's move on. So, just in breaking news, we're not gonna brief it or anything, but California passes the law that will pay college athletes for their image and their likeness. And it's most likely that a lot of states will jump on board with this because it's a, a movement that's being pushed. Um, like I said on, pre- on a previous show, I do believe that college athletes should be paid for their image and their likeness, especially when the school is making money off of them. But at the same time, it's like it kind of tanks the game for teammates. Because if you have one guy who's bringing in, you know, six, seven grand a month from endorsement deals and there's people on the team who aren't, it kind of creates a bad chemistry because when it comes to money, you know, people do anything and it brings a lot of envy and jealous. But we're not going to really get in too deep into that. We've already um, expressed our opinions on that on a previous show. Just briefing you guys on the news that's to come. Unless Webb has anything he would like to add to it. I mean, honestly, last week I was I couldn't give a concrete answer as to whether I was in favor of it or not in favor of it. But I mean, seeing that California finally passed it, um, I think I'm I think I can jump on board with it and say that I think it's a good idea, especially with California being the first guy. California holds a lot of weight, you know. I think it's going to be a trend. And like you said before, there are kids coming into college that have nothing. They have nothing. And that's a, that's all they have is college football, college basketball, college sports in general. And let them get a little bit of money so they can live comfortably while they try to live out their dream, I guess. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I think I'm not opposed to outsiders and um, sponsorships paying them. I'm just opposed to college paying the money. But that's another discussion that we can have later. Let's move forward to the NFL. So over this weekend, if you haven't been watching, if you haven't seen it or heard, the Oakland Raiders linebacker Vontez Burfecht has been suspended for the rest of the 2019 season for his helmet-to-helmet hit Sunday on Indianapolis Colts tight end Jake Doyle. The league announced that he was ejected in the second quarter of the Raiders' 31-24 win, and he was initially flagged for hitting Doyle in the head across the middle. But after the officials conferred, he was thrown out of the game. The league said that he will not be paid during the suspension, which covers the postseason as well. And they also cited that his repeated violations of unnecessary roughness was the reason that they decided to suspend him for the rest of the season. Uh, my thoughts are simply this. That hit that he had on Jake Doyle, there's just no room for that in, in football. I mean, you could seriously injure somebody going helmet to helmet, head to head on purpose. Hurt, you could hurt somebody or yourself. So I think the league is right in this sense, especially if this is something that we have to continually tell you that we don't want you doing or continue to penalize you for is as if you're playing as if you are a dirty player and the way he left the field with a smile on his face is like he doesn't give a damn. And I just don't think that that's right. 
And I think the NFL did the right thing and they put the, the league on notice. If we're going to keep flagging you, a particular player, for violations of our rules, you're not going to be playing in this season. Right. Honestly, considering the history that he's had, I think he's when he's been suspended at least two other times, maybe three other times for this same exact thing, helmet to helmet contact. Um, honestly, I don't think he should, I don't think is, I think it should be longer than the season. I think he should just be suspended indefinitely. I don't think he should even play if he's, if he's, he's hurting people. Like, and like you said, he has a really nonchalant, no care attitude about it either. He doesn't really show any remorse. He keeps doing it. I think the league did the right thing in suspending him for the rest of the season, but I think he should be suspended indefinitely, at least until at least until we know he's not gonna intentionally try to do it again like he wants to do better. Because right now it doesn't even look like he wants to do better. Right. But that's all about that. Also, to um, in news, Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky from the Chicago Bears dislocated his shoulder and has a labrum tear. However, he will not require surgery. I think this may be one of the best things that can happen for the Bears, as Trubisky has been playing less than average. Chase Daniel came in and um, may not be the best backup in the situation, but he looked a lot more comfortable and confident than Trubisky. Um, he was 22 of 30. 195 yards passing and a touchdown. So maybe this can balance out a little bit for the Bears. This can give their defense a break so their defense isn't constantly on the field, which is the best defense in the league. Um, so I'm not I'm not sure how this will work out. I'm not sure if Chase Daniel will continue to be great or at least average to get the Bears um, – going on the offensive side. But um, being that he won't require surgery, Trubisky will be back soon. See, he dislocated his left shoulder, so it's not his throwing shoulder. And I I didn't know that it didn't require surgery. When it was reported, it was said, it was said that they didn't know if he needed surgery yet. Um, but it's not as big as as uh, Bears fans think it will be. I mean, yes, Trubisky's better than uh, Chase Daniels. He's a better playmaker, all that good stuff. But Chase Daniels, it was re- it, they said that Chase Daniels knows the offense better than Trubisky. And in my opinion, like you said, I think the Bears have the best defense in the NFL. Some people could argue Dallas or even New England, but I'd rather have Chicago in crunch time their defense at least but as long as Chase Daniels can facilitate the offense keep the chains moving I think the defense is strong enough to keep Chicago in the running this year in a very tough division until Trubisky comes back and the timetable for his return is unknown but like you said no surgery so it will be and I'm quoted and I'm quoting this it'll be sooner rather than later which we don't know how long that could be. That could be four weeks. It could be six weeks. Could be eight. I don't know. But 
I think the Bears will be fine as long as Chase Daniels can facilitate the offense. Yep, you're right. Um, player of the week. So my player of the week is Nick Chubbs with three rushing touchdowns, 165 yards rushing against one of the top defenses in the league. He um, had a really good game, had a big run. I think one of his runs was like 70 plus yards. And it was kind of like his his breakout game this season. I mean, he's been pretty much contained for the most part, but he had a really good performance against the Baltimore Ravens who will have a uh, top 10 defense. I missed this game because I was at work, but I'm shocked about this. But my player of the week is Chris Godwin, 12 receptions. I mean, 12 receptions, excuse me, 172 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and a 55-40 to 40 Tampa Bay win over the L.A. Rams. That yeah, was, that's a good pick. That was that's a really good pick. Go ahead. I was going to say that it just seems like any given week, Tampa can can pick which receiver they want to to eat for that week. Because um, Mike Evans last week against the Giants, he had some like 190 yards receiving, uh, three touchdowns. So they have two, you know, threats on the opposite side. So you have to pick your poison as a defense. Who are you going to stop? Because if you double up on Mike Evans, you know you're going to have Godwin over there free, and if you double up on Godwin, you're going to have Mike Evans free. So you have to pick your poison for today. Here's a question, though, for you, Webb. Can you win with a quarterback throwing 68 passes? No. And here's the best example that I can that I can come up with to tell you why they can. Because Tom Brady has six Super Bowls. And I think the Patriots are the best example of you cannot be a one-dimensional team. I think they're the best example of a non-one-dimensional team. Because Tom Brady can throw for 190, 200 yards one game, and then the next game throw for 120, but they'll rush for almost 200. You know what I mean? So, no, I don't think you can win by throwing 68 passes. Not in the NFL. Maybe in college, we've seen Dwayne Haskins have some success throwing the ball just about 68 times a game, but no, not in the NFL. You're right. Definitely not in the NFL. And my example is Jared Goff. He threw 68 passes in the loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. And you have arguably one of the best running backs in the game, and he has five carries. And the total number of rushing attempts for all three backs for the Rams was 11. If you're Sean McVay, you have to do better than that. You cannot allow Jared Goff to dictate the game and throw the ball 68 times. I mean, you just have to. You have to incorporate Todd Gurley. And I think Todd Gurley was targeted maybe four times out of those 68 passes. I mean, I thought about this and I was texting my uncle about this and I said, maybe Jared, or sorry, maybe this Sean McVay just isn't as good as a coach as people give him credit I mean he uh. he's three and one he went to the Super Bowl last year but this year he's proven where he's struggling at and that is the play calling on office on the offensive side maybe but we'll see 
I mean, I think it's I think it's weird that Todd Gurley only got what did you say five carries? Five carries. That's, def- that's definitely out of the ordinary. But uh, I I believe in Sean McVay. I he's shown his he's shown his smarts and knowledge of the game. He he knows the game. I know that. So, and like we said last week, he said he's got to get Todd Gurley more involved. He's not doing it, so I'm curious to see what the Rams are going to do with him. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If they're going to allow Jared Goff to throw 50 and 60 and 70 passes, they're going to lose each game. Moving forward, which of our games of the week was most interesting? Um, And I'm going to pick the Pats at the Bills. It was a very um, strategic game of defense between both of them. The Bills had – if the Bills had not given up a touchdown on their special teams on that that punt that punt that got blocked, they may have won. I mean, you take into consideration that um, Matt Barkley came in the game and took over after Josh Allen got hurt, and he made it look natural as much as he could. And Micah Hyde also picked off Tom Brady. It's easy to say that both defenses on a on on each side came to play. And then my second pick would be the Chiefs at the Lions. A very entertaining game. The Lions' problem was their to- their turnovers in the red zone, and that's just something you can't do, and it's something that will be addressed at practice this week because I believe they had two turnovers in the red zone this week. Right. I I agree with you on on both games for the pa- for the Patriots and uh, the Bills. Honestly. If the Bills would have had anybody better than Josh Allen or Matt Barkley, the Bills win this game. They could have had anybody better. Anybody. And I think the Bills would have won the game. I think Josh Allen just wasn't just wasn't good enough to finish it before getting hurt. And Matt Barkley came in, and he was even worse than Josh Allen was. But Tom Brady didn't play that good either, to be honest with you. So that was the Bills' chance to win. But for the Lions, yeah, the red zone turnovers, heartbreaking. If Carrion Johnson doesn't fumble on the one, the Lions win. But, yeah, he has to know when to give up and trying to make an extra, you know, an inch on a play. You don't turn your back backwards trying to stretch the ball and you don't know who's coming over the top of you. So. That's something that the R, the RB coach will address um, for the for the Lions because they could very much be 4-0 and have beaten the Chiefs this week. As you've seen, their defense really, you know, took away a lot of key plays and um, made the Chiefs open up their playbook a little bit in order to beat the Lions. Yeah, they, they like to uh, double Kelsey toward the end of the game which was good, and they played without Quandre Diggs or Darius Slade. Uh, and I believe Deshaun Hand didn't play either. So that's three key defensive players that they played without, and they still put up a pretty good fight. Yep, they can't be disappointed in their performance. They could just be disappointed in their careless turn- turnovers there in the red zone. Moving forward to the NBA, the NBA preseason began last night. We had um, 
the Shanghai Sharks from China playing the Houston Rockets, complete blowout. I think it was like 140 to 70. I'm not surprised, so I'm not going to go into depth with that game. Um, but Thursday, we'll open up with the Clippers versus the Rockets. But we want you guys to peep this out. This is something that I was reading as I was looking for some content for you guys today. There's a, a website called The Ringer, and they released an article which has the top 20 one-two punches in the NBA in history. And this is their top five order. And you guys make sure you, you know, let us know if you agree with this order from TheRinger.com. You can check it out yourself. It has number five, 2006-2007, Melo and AI. At number four, Shaq and Kobe from 2001-2002. Number three, Elgin Baylor and Jerry West from 1961 to 1962. Number two, Kobe and Shaq from 02 to 03. And number one, Kobe and Shaq from 2000 to 2001. Now, I think whoever made this list is probably a millennial. It's probably a um, a stats guy. And there's just no way that Melo and AI are at number five as top two duos, one-two punches in the NBA history. But LeBron and D-Wade aren't. Neither is Steph Curry or Clay, or Jordan and Pippen or Magic and Kareem or Karl Malone and John Stockton. I mean, the list can keep going on and on and on. It just seems unrealistic not to include these guys. Or you can even include like Steve Nash and the year that Steve Nash won the, the MVP, I believe in 2006. What do you have, Amari Stoudemire? Yeah, he had Amari Stoudemire. You could you could put him in there, but you could even go back before that. You could go back to Steve Nash and um, Dirk. Yeah, that's true. So I know they they use a special metric to measure and make their assessment for this article, but sports is just beyond the numbers. Like, come on, you have to look at how people doubt. Jordan pretty much dominated six, seven eight straight years in the league. He could have won eight championships if he hadn't retired. And Pippen was there for a lot of those uh, those championships. Uh, maybe all of them. I'm not, I'm not sure. I have to go back and look. But... Uh, I don't know about all that. When he came out of retirement, he lost in the first round badly to who, Charlotte? To Do you know who? Do you remember who? Who are we talking about who lost badly? Jordan, when he came out of retirement, you said he could have had eight rings. Well, he lost the year he came out of retirement. Do you know who he lost to? Well, um... Shaq and Penny. Shaq and Penny, yeah, Orlando. Yeah. In the first round, he got... I believe he got swept. Now, I don't know, man. I just... I still believe Jordan could have won eight straight easily. But that's, that's when Shaq was, you know... Shaq was good for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of two two way punches or one two punches in the NBA that you could pick over this list of Kobe and Shaq here three or four times. I mean, even they, they could be in here once. I mean, but Kobe and Shaq are they have to be one. Who's better than who is better than Kobe and Shaq together? What I'm saying is, whoever made this list is almost kind of biased with whatever stats they use because. Kobe and Shaq, they could be in here at least once, but to be in here three, four times and to 
disregard all the other duos that were in the league for all these years? Hmm. Right. You know, I, I don't know. I just didn't agree with it. I didn't. I especially threw me off when Melo and AI got in there over Dwayne Wade and LeBron. Or Tim Duncan right. and, and, and David Robertson. Or Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. I mean, come on. Oh, my. Oh, my gosh. Very upset with that uh, list. If you guys want to check it out, just go to TheRinger.com and look at their list and let us know what you think. I mean, I know a lot of you guys sometimes text me after the show and let me know some thoughts, but, you know, we appreciate any feedback you guys give us. All right, so we're going to move forward to the MLB. The wild card games begin this evening, Tuesday night, with the, the Brewers at the Nationals, and on Wednesday, the Rays will face the Athletics. That's right. The Cleveland Indians have been eliminated. The playoffs start tonight, and this is just to get to the next round. So hopefully, you know, we get some good games, no blowouts. We get some competitive games. I will be tuning in tonight for the Brewers at the Nationals, and I'm going for the Brewers. I don't like the Nationals. In other news, we also have the Washington Mystics taking um, game one on Sunday. So game two will be tonight at 8 p.m. And I think they're looking to redeem themselves from being swept last year. Last year, And the chances are they will do so. Um, also, I wanted to break this to you before we close out. Have you um, seen the NBA players that have put their bid in, so, so to say, for the 2020 Olympics? Uh, I seen, I seen it once, but I don't remember who. So LeBron has ish, has said he would like to play, I believe Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Kawhi, and Paul George. So that team, just those names alone right there, will be a oh Clay Thompson did too, will be a very scary team to face in the Olympics because. You got all kind of players there. You got lockdown defenders, and then you add the shooters of Steph and Clay, and add the playmaking ability of LeBron, and you have a scary team there. Well, yeah. Look, we just we just lost. We we're supposed to have the best basketball league in the world. We're supposed to have the best basketball team in the world, and we lost. So it's no it's no surprise to me that the best players in the NBA want to apply for the Olympic team next year. I mean, we didn't lose. We got dismantled. We came in seventh place. Team USA doesn't do that. It's embarrassing. So, yeah, that wraps us up for today, guys. Um, We will see you back on Friday with our games of the week. As always, if you have any questions or Topics you want us to cover, please send them in at anchor.fm forward slash feel the heat forward slash message or on Twitter at feel the heat underscore KW. I also want to give a quick shout out. I just seen it on your Twitter, Kyle. Um, Gia, what's her last name? Milana. Gia Milana from Romeo, Michigan, doing big things at Baylor. Um, they're currently undefeated, the women's volleyball team. She made a uh, front page for the NCAA. And uh, we're, we're proud of her. Keep doing your thing, Gia. And um, we'll see you guys back on Friday.